Wait, we're doing two weeks in a row of Super Bowl well, it's ads? it's not Super Bowl. It's about technology. I know, technology. but for the second week in a row, we're going to highlight something in the Super Bowl advertising lane. What did we... Oh, we did the Alexa. Yeah, we did the ones that we couldn't... No, we did hey, the the listen, one that we couldn't do. Make a joke about that. Which the, which one? The ad you didn't see. But hey, just make a joke about it. Like, are we oh, doing we the Super Bowl again? No, he did Smat Pack. Oh, that's you right. You did the one that yes, you didn't see. That's right. Well, I guess there were a lot of... A lot of pertinent issues that were raised during the Super Bowl commercials. It's a ghost cat. <laughs> That's a ghost cat. a ghost cat. We're excited about a brand new project, and it's called The Church and the Racial Divide. So, Trillia, maybe share a little bit of why, why we're excited about it. Yeah, well, we're excited about it because this is about the church, and it is about the unity of the church. It's about what God says in His Word. It's actually a study. So churches can get together with small groups of people and study God's Word together about this topic. So what other way to not only equip and disciple, but encourage each other to learn more about what God says about racial reconciliation, harmony, unity, and this beautiful picture that we're going to see one day every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping together. Yeah, it's it's Bible teaching, right? I mean, each session takes a passage of Scripture and is taught how it applies to race. You know, the Bible talks quite a bit about race. And what I think is helpful is that this, this is okay— people in their local churches opening the scriptures saying, what does the Bible say about this? This is about God's word and how we can live and grow together as a people uh, made in his image who have been united through Christ and who will be living and worshiping together forever. If your church is interested in this, uh, you can go to lifeway.com slash the church and the racial divide. You can download it as a video download. You can purchase the kit that has DVDs. There's all kinds of resources for you and your church. So we want to encourage you to get that. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where every week we are talking about our work here at the ERLC and the things you need to know about what's going on in the world. I'm here in the studio today with my co-host, Lindsay Nicolay. Happy Valentine's Day. And Brent Leatherwood. Happy Valentine's Day, y'all. Yeah, so it's a special day. Hope you're enjoying it, maybe with a special someone as you get to listen to the... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoying it with somebody special. (laughs) As you're nestled around the fire. (laughs) Listening to the dulcet tones of Joshua West. Yeah, so later in the show, we're going to talk to a special guest, Trillia Newbell. Uh, she serves on staff here with us at the URLC, and she is someone that many of you will be familiar with. But before we get to that conversation, let's talk about the week. Lindsay, tell us about what the URLC has been talking about this week. Okay, guys. My brain is not firing on all cylinders today, so hopefully I don't stumble my it's way It's because it's Valentine's this. Day. You're you're just— Yes, I've got just heart emojis going off in my brain constantly. There you go. Okay, so (laughs) let's get into the content. So one of the issues that's important to us at the ERLC is criminal justice reform. And a ministry that we are so thankful for is Prison Fellowship. Heather Rice Minus of Prison Fellowship has a piece up for us talking about what Christians think about criminal justice reform. And they commissioned a study by Barna Group to find out. So it revealed some hopeful trends, but then also some discouraging ones. So I would encourage you to check that out on our site. And for the second week in a row, we're talking about the Super Bowl, but not the Super Bowl, an ad during the Super Bowl. Hey, there's a reason they spend all this money making these ads. They're great, and that's they're worth talking about. 
That is so true. And apparently they're touching on issues that we care about. So our colleague Jason Thacker especially cares about technological issues. And his article is about the Google commercial that ran, and it was highlighting their Google Google – that's hard to say five times fast – their Google Assistant. and Google Assistant, Google Assistant, Google Assistant, Google Assistant, Google Assistant. Show off. So the ad painted a picture of the purpose for which we should use technology. And Jason said it like this. The goal and purpose of all technological innovation is to serve us as we serve the creator of the universe. So he also has a book coming up, coming not up, but out. Coming out. About um, AI. So we would encourage you to— Yeah, it's called The Age of AI. It's going to be coming out in March. And uh, we're actually going to have Jason on the show in a few weeks to talk to us about the book. But he is just an incredible thinker when it comes to all things technology. And even as you saw right there in that quote, he's just uh, helped us see the value and also the rightful place of technology in the life of the Christian. Right, and that's helpful because there are a number of people out there who are really fearful about technological change. And he's helping people, especially uh, in the evangelical world, to figure out ways to helpfully talk about technological change. Yes, but this commercial was not fearful. Uh, this commercial was very sweet. Loretta or something was her was the the wife's name. So anyway, I would encourage you to Google that and find it. Uh, we also have a video up on our site by Brad Hambrick, who is a counselor out of the Summit Church in North Carolina, and he answers the question: What would you say to the Christian who feels ashamed to seek counseling? And that may be where one of our listeners finds themselves. So we would encourage you to to watch that and find some comfort and encouragement there. And last but not least, this is the second week in a row, I believe, that we're talking about the coronavirus. On our website, we're we're talking about it. Drew Griffin writes a piece about what the coronavirus and the spread of the coronavirus reveals about the deeper disease found within China's government, actually. And what is that deeper disease? Well, communism. Mm. Yes. And how it is not good for the citizens, how this could have been taken care of before. But I'm not going to talk further about that because— Because we want to read the piece. Well, read the piece, but you're going to talk about coronavirus in just a minute. Right. So, Well, that's actually a really good segue. So, Brent, why don't you go ahead and tell us, what are you watching this week in culture? Yeah, so since uh, Lindsay just mentioned the coronavirus, let's uh, stay there for a second. So this week, it it surpassed a pivotal mark. It, uh, it actually has now gone beyond the number of deaths that the SARS virus uh, was responsible for several years ago. And then on Thursday— I guess the the Chinese government has determined a new way of uh, actually diagnosing the virus. And after a couple days where they thought infections had decreased, it actually shot back up on Thursday. So it's it's an alarming trend that a number of health officials around the globe are paying attention to. Definitely something Christians need to be not only paying attention to, but also just very prayerful for, because uh, as this disease continues to spread, it is something that may may not have affected you or somebody in your close circle right now, but it's it's dangerous. It is killing people, and right now they have been unable to contain this the spread of this virus. And there are people of Asian descent in the United States who are facing prejudice, where people associate the coronavirus with them. So we need to be mindful of that to treat our fellow citizens with respect and to be faithful to pray for the people of China. Yeah, and just yesterday I was on the phone with uh, one of our close partners at the RLC, Lifeline Children's Services, and they are active in the adoption space internationally, and in particular China. And they've got a number of families that have agreed to adopt out of China, and they're on hold indefinitely 
while this is going on because children who are in orphanages over there, they have essentially closed off orphanages right now in China to try and prevent the, the disease from spreading there. So it, this, this has a cascading effect across a number of uh, different areas. So staying on the international front, the Irish general election uh, in the Republic of Ireland occurred last Saturday. And that's noteworthy because there was a stunning three-way tie. As they counted the votes, actually what emerged was the leftist party, Sinn Féin, ended up coming out on top just by uh, a slim amount. But they're going to have the responsibility of forming a coalition government. So why is that important for us? Well, so that's something that we're watching because that that could potentially have uh, an influence on the abortion discussion that the RLC is really starting to engage in the United Kingdom and in Northern Ireland, where they have recently decriminalized abortion. There may be some pressure on them to come to where the Republic of Ireland is in terms of what their abortion standards are. So it's a uh, it's something that's having an impact uh, across cultural lines internationally. Okay, so coming uh, to the domestic front, uh, we kicked off the week with the Oscars. the Oscars. Another party for celebrities. Another yep. party for... Why is it that these celebrities are constantly getting together to pat themselves on the back and tell each other how great they are? What else do you do with all that money? <laughs> <laughs> you throw parties. That's true. So, Did y'all uh, dress up? Oh, I didn't attend. I didn't get my invitation. Well, at home. Yeah, we did not throw an Oscars party. Mm. Yeah, we, we, we didn't did do I. that. But uh, we did watch it because, obviously, I'm, I'm in charge of finding cultural items for us to talk about on this here podcast. And so my wife and I watched it probably for the first time in about, well, since we got married. Uh, but I did think it was interesting uh, on a couple different fronts. So Parasite, the uh, international film based in South Korea and created by South Koreans, it cleaned up. One of our coworkers said it was the most stressful movie that he has ever seen. Wow, really? Yes. And that came across— Suspenseful, so, I guess. Yeah, and and so for, for folks who maybe haven't seen it, uh, it is entirely in subtitles because it is in South Korean. And so I just thought that was amazing because I kind of figured that 1917, uh, the movie about World War I, uh, was, was actually going to do just as well, if not better, than what Parasite ended up doing. No, no comment on 1917? I haven't seen it. Oh, it's a great movie. You should go see it. And then in his acceptance speech for Best Actor, Joaquin Phoenix. He did, did what he what, does. Yeah, he did what he does, which is just zany, He says out-of-the-box commentary. He says strange things in public. That's, right. that's his shtick. And so in effect, in his acceptance speech for Best Actor, he came out against uh, what I termed hamburgers and coffee creamer. That's right. But he did say helpful things about cancel culture. Yes. Uh, and that people can be redeemed. People can be redeemed. That's right. And we so shouldn't that's, cancel. We should redeem. And as a redeemed people, we should applaud that. On the SBC cultural front, cooperative program giving is, is up. And that is certainly something that uh, we want to be paying attention to and be appreciative of. So, yes. Brett, for folks who are listening who may, may not be familiar with the SBC or our connection at the URLC to the Southern Baptist Convention, why don't you tell us why CP funding or CP giving matters? So the cooperative program is what funds all of the entities within the Southern Baptist life, and the URLC is one of those entities. And it is a, it's a small portion of, of what uh, each of us gives each week for our tithing and giving to our local church. The majority of that will end up going to your local church. 
But a small part of that uh, comes here to Nashville to fund all of our entities across the country. And we are so thankful because that helps us live out our mission and the calling that uh, Southern Baptists have uh, have designed for us. Yes. And as one who, a ministry I was involved in where I worked, had to raise my own support, and I'm very thankful for everyone that gave, just reminds me of the blessing that the CP is. That's right. Southern Baptist churches, uh, Southern Baptist church members giving so that we can send people to our nation, to the nations, Mm -hmm. with the gospel message. That's right. So it's missionaries at home and abroad. It's church planning activities. It's what we do in the public square, all of that. And so we are so thankful Uh, for our Southern Baptists and the way that they have uh, really shown up uh, so far in this fiscal year. Uh, Next, the XFL is back. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, exactly. Monday Night Football reference, but you know, whatever. Uh, (laughs) Copyright. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So the XFL last appeared uh, in the public domain in 2001, and it quickly went belly up. But this time, Folks who uh, analyze these sorts of things in the sports world, they they actually think that it is primed to prosper this time. What did you think about that, Josh? Did you watch any of the games on opening weekend? Of I the didn't XFL? watch any of the games, but I saw a lot of hype on social media. People are people are stoked that the XFL is back. I mean, the only thing that I remember about the first iteration is uh, that Rod Smart on the back of his jersey, instead of having his last name, it just said he hate me. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I can tell you that there was a lot of excitement for the XFL, mostly because people don't want to like have to pause their football enthusiasm. They want to just be able to enjoy football all year long. Yeah. Well, what is the XFL? There was a debate. Does X stand for Extreme Football League? Yes. What is it? The Extreme Football Do League. Do they wear like helmets and pads or is it like flag football? Yeah. I've so, never seen it. So the XFL was started uh, by the man who is running the WWE wrestling federation and this time there is less of the wrestling kind of performance element and more of the football element so that's why a lot of folks think that this this time it it stands a chance to be more successful i i'm slightly skeptical but uh, we shall see uh more serious matters though people across the country are starting to now vote because early voting is beginning in a number of uh states around the country but uh this week New Hampshire, the New Hampshire primary, folks there, they voted. And they voted this week for Bernie Sanders to come out on top. And yeah, I mean, we, it's remarkable because we know who won. That, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> unlike, unlike the last time we met, we had no idea what exactly was happening in Iowa. But no, a clear winner emerged. It was Senator Sanders from Vermont. He was followed in second place by Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Um, and then after him was Amy Klobuchar, the senator from Minnesota. And was that surprising? Third place. I would say actually the most surprising part was how much the vote for Senator Sanders uh, diminished from 2016. Uh, I mean, he had cleaned up in 2016, and the fact that he only won by a few percentage points was was surprising. Uh, Senator Klobuchar's third place um, uh, finish was surprising, and most folks think now she has some momentum to carry her at least through the next couple of contests, which is Nevada, that's a caucus that's coming up, and South Carolina. Before we get to that Nevada caucus, there will be a debate that takes place on February 19th. And the reason that that is something a lot of folks are watching is because that potentially will be the first time the former New York City mayor, Michael Bloomberg, appears on the debate stage. And most folks have no idea what 
sort of impact he is going to have on the 2020 Democratic primary. Brand, is it totally unprecedented that someone who is going to be a major force in the Democratic presidential primary has just opted to skip the at least the first two contests, if not uh, further into this primary process? Yeah, so he is he's not appearing on the ballot until the Super Tuesday uh, elections that will take place in March. So, no, he is skipping the first four uh, contests, and that is unprecedented. What is also unprecedented is the amount of personal money he is putting into this race. He has told people that he will not hesitate to spend $2 billion of his own personal money in this election should he be the Democratic nominee, which is an astounding. We have never seen that in American politics. It's just absurd. And, you know, for anybody listening who's not familiar with uh, who Michael Bloomberg is, he is a he's a businessman that is worth uh, reportedly somewhere between 50 and $60 billion. And so he certainly has it to spend. I mean, ultimately, that's a fraction of his wealth, but that is an unprecedented amount of money to spend, especially of someone's own personal fortune uh, on on a bid for president. Yeah. So it's certainly something that we're watching. Lindsay, I'm curious, what would you do with a billion dollars? Oh, man. It's hard to say. Uh, I would buy a lot of clothes, maybe. That's after I gave, obviously. Right. I mean, the CP giving and would be up because of you. CP giving definitely would be up because of me. But I'd travel and buy clothes. Okay, and so, okay. I mean, for the last thing in our culture section, it's Valentine's Day. So are y'all getting a Snuggie for that special person in your life? You talking to me? I'm talking to both of y'all. Well, we already have a Snuggie because I brought one to our marriage. And it will be your favorite, Brent, because it is a University of Florida Snuggie. Go Gators. Go Gators. This was, I was really just asking this as a joke. And in fact, we've learned something that none of us needed to know about Lindsay. Brent! What? What? I, none of us needed to know you actually had a Snuggie. We get you because you asked. It's not. It was, a, it was a joke. Brent and Josh, what are you going to do for Valentine's Day for your lovely wives? This is the best possible year for you to ask because normally, like, I'm not a big uh, romantic. I'm not a big gift giver or do, doing things right. But this year, Valentine's Day just worked out for us because some really dear friends who didn't want me to, you know, mess it up again for like the 10th year in a row of our marriage, basically set me up with the perfect Valentine's date. So my wife and I are going to be going out. It's going to be a great time. And that's, you know, so yeah, so we're going to go out to a nice dinner. That's going to be great. That's great. So, you know, we actually take the opposite approach. We actually try not to go out to dinner on Valentine's day because it's all these crowds and everything. So I will probably end up making my wife suffer for us to enjoy. So, Lindsay and Josh, that is your look at This Week in Culture. So we're excited today to talk to Trillia Newbell. Trillia is a writer and a speaker. She's a major voice in evangelicalism, and she's also one of our colleagues here at the URLC. And so we're really grateful that she took the time to speak with us today. So, Trillia... Tell us about a little bit about yourself and what you what you're doing in ministry right now. Yeah, so I do a number of different things. I um, write and speak and work with the ERLC with all y'all. <laughs> but my main ministry is that to my family. I'm a wife of 17 years, 
and I have two amazing children. I'm totally biased, but I love them. And they're 13, almost 14, and 10. Trillia, as the kids say, you do all the things. Also, (laughs) you're not biased. Your kids are great. Love them. What is one thing in the midst of all the things that you're doing in this season that God is teaching you? Yeah, so I have really loved getting older. I am young by some people's standards, but I'm in my 40s. And one of the things that getting older has done is, and even just this month, it kind of clicked. I need to be concerned about what I'll be doing for eternity. And I can't really worry about the actions and opinions of others because I'm going to be the one who has to give an account before the Lord. And he's really been teaching me that. And so that means I can love when I don't feel loved. I can work hard, even if it seems like I'm not valued. I can serve, etc. Because I'm going to give an account before the Lord. And so that's what he's been teaching me, I think, lately, is just fix your eyes on Jesus, Trillia, and be reminded of what you're going to be doing for eternity, which is worshiping him, delighting in him, enjoying him, working um, enjoying loving people perfectly. And so I, I can't do that now. I can't do any of this perfectly, <laughs> but I can work towards that end, towards that what I'll be doing for eternity. So that's what he's been teaching me. And it's been, I just love getting older because some of the things, the worries even and concerns that even a month ago, I, I just, yeah, something clicked and I was like, what am I doing? And it's been good. Mm. Well, those are good lessons to to learn. Uh, but as Lindsay said, you do do all the things. I mean, I, I think in in our organization's orbit, outside of Russell Moore, you are probably traveling to great locations to speak to some really compelling organizations to to do ministry in all kinds of different contexts. So you, Trillia, you come into contact with so many people. I don't, I don't even know how you keep track of all of them, but I'm curious. Those people that you have been interacting with and folks that you do um, work alongside, what are are they paying attention to right now in culture that, that you've noticed recently? Yeah, so I want to start by saying I don't keep track of everyone. <laughs> I encourage people to focus on, look at the local church because I can't be friends with, I can't communicate and keep up with everyone. Oh, how I wish I had the capacity, but I don't. Um, And so I just, I'm really thankful that early on in my faith, uh, the church I went to just really rooted me in the love of the local church. So I try to point people there. But one of the things, there's a lot of things, and I speak to a lot of women's groups, so they're going to be a little different depending on who I'm talking to, but it's election season. So of course there's that trying to discern um, who to vote for and how to love one another, even when you disagree. I think that's something that I'm hearing a lot of and, and people trying to discern and, and walk in love with one another. And then I am African-American, so race and ethnicity are often discussed in different contexts, depending on where I am. So at a women's retreat, they're not, that's typically not my topic, but um, at a university or with some of my really, really good girlfriends, we will engage in that topic. And although I haven't yet to see Just Mercy, you all know that movie that's out, Mm -hmm. Just Mercy? Okay. I have read The New Jim Crow um, by Michelle Alexander, I believe. And so thinking through prison reform and the justice system is a topic that I'm thinking through and my friends are engaged in. And 
I am in talks with a new friend who I met at an Evangelicals for Life uh, event that we just did in January, and she's Latina. And she is considering starting a group where pro-life people of color could gather. And I am um, in talks with her about that. So, so those issues that really a lot of the things and topics that we at the ERLC are diving into, I on the ground am also engaged with. Yeah. So Trillia, last weekend was Racial Reconciliation Sunday in SBC Life, and this month is Black History Month. I wonder if you could tell us who are some of your African-American heroes? Okay, so some of my heroes are unknown. <laughs> and so my mom and dad, my mom, incredibly hard worker. She, uh, she finished college in her 40s, 50s, just worked at the same um, historically black college until the thing went under. I mean, she just so faithful, such a hard worker. And my dad was a self-starter. And so he really taught me the value of hard work and ingenuity. And so thinking outside the box, which I kind of picked up on. <laughs> and, and so those two, and then a gal named um, Carell Terry, she prayed with me when I became a Christian. And so there was three people who prayed with me. I became a Christian at the age of 22. And just watching her life after I became a dis, uh, Christian and seeing how much she loved her family and served um, quietly was such, an, it's just impacts me even today. And same with Carmen Baker, who's again, unknown, but she discipled me and she was an African-American woman. And then the slave Elizabeth Freeman, Again, probably not as known, but this, it's remarkable. She fought her way out of slavery. She took on the state of Massachusetts and received her freedom. And um, can I read a quote that, of hers real quick? Absolutely. Okay. She says, anytime, anytime while I was a slave, if one minute's freedom had been offered to me and I had been told I must die at the end of that minute, I would have taken it just to stand one minute on God's earth, a free woman. I would. Ooh, that kills me every time I think about it or read it. And, and, and so she, she's just an unsung hero. That's good. And I, I love that quote. So, you know, truly you're, you're a mother of two and you mentioned on Instagram, which I should mention, if you're out there and you want a fun account to follow, it's truly new bells <laughs> because I don't, I don't even know half the time how you take some of those pictures. They're, they're just so fun-filled and adventurous. I, I love them. But so you had mentioned just a, a little while ago that on Instagram, a fun way you are teaching your kids about Black History Month. So can you tell us more about that and, and why teaching your children about this month and what it means, why that is so important. Yeah. Okay. So we do have a lot of fun and I, I enjoy, I just enjoy my home and my family. And so I try to think of creative ways to do things. So this month we are cooking through a cookbook called Jubilee and there's recipes from, I believe it's two centuries of African-American cooks and, and cooking. And first of all, that cookbook, is slamming. It's so good. Like every <laughs> recipe we've made is so delicious. <laughs> it is so good. And so each week I cook one or two of the recipes, but along with the recipes, the author of the cookbook, um, 
Tony Tipton Martin. She she did a really great job of adding some historical background to each of the recipes. And so I'll take the recipe and then I'll research a little bit about whatever it is that they the recipe is focused on. And then we'll talk about it over dinner. And it is, it's, or we'll listen to the music. Like we listened to, I believe it was Fats Domino, who was out of the, one of the starters, uh, pioneers of rock and roll in Louisiana. And we listened to him and then, um, and I, I may have said the wrong name, but, um, but then we talked about the Louisiana slave revolt and how that impacted the slaves. It was terrible, absolutely terrible. And then we, the other day we, we, had a French dish, French inspired dish, and listened to Mahalia Jackson, who is a gospel singer. And then we talked about her life and she evidently gave uh, Dr. King the idea of to go into the, I have a dream, that part. Tell tell me about the dream, Martin. Tell me about the dream. Yep. You got it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And so it was, so it's, we are just enjoying, um, experiencing black history in a way that isn't isn't just about the mourning and the sorrows but the celebrations and i'm trying to figure out a way to teach the kids in a way that's enjoyable and that can kind of stick with them so cooking and and music and talking and discussing and my sweet daughter we could be talking about anything and she'll bring up frederick Douglass. <laughs> Really funny. We're talking about talk, something, totally, but Frederick Douglass did da da da. So she, it's really sweet. But anyway, so we're we're that's what we're doing. And why? You ask me why. Well, American history is our history. It's our shared history, and I want them to know about our shared history. So, as we're thinking about Black History Month, we're we're looking at the history of America and what different. Black Americans, um, what they experienced, what they did, um, how our culture affected African Americans, and and what that looks like. Of course, I'm also African American, and I'm married to a white man, and so our family is multi-ethnic, and so we want them to be exposed to all of it, and 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 we do that very intentionally. We try to expose them to even beyond just black and white, well beyond that. But um, for our family, it's also it's important for them to know their culture, both their black culture and their English, white British culture. <laughs> Trillia, that sounds so enjoyable. When is the next dinner? Because we might <laughs> well, show up. Huh? Oh, tonight. Come on over. I'm making this chicken stew, peanut stew thing. I don't really know yet, but I I mean, I don't, you know, once I get in there, I'll know, but come on over. So fun. (laughs) Man, Trillia, we just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And I know uh, both as a a parent and also someone who's a part of a multi-ethnic family, uh, there's a lot to learn and take away from what you have just shared with us. And I just want to encourage you, and I hope that other people will be encouraged too, because your willingness to kind of live your life in public this way and to show people how you are, how you're teaching your kids and how you are working these things into your family rhythms. I know that's something that a lot of people are going to benefit from. So we just want to say thank you for all of your work and all the things God is doing through you to advance his kingdom. Thank you, Josh. This episode of the ERLC podcast was sponsored by The Good Book Company, publisher of Jesus and the Very Big Surprise, a new children's storybook by well-known singer and TV presenter Randall Goodgame. 
This beautifully illustrated hardback book is based on the parable in Luke 12 and teaches children that Jesus will return, and when he does, there will be an amazing party where, surprise, he will serve his faithful servants. From the same best-selling series that brought you God's very good idea and the garden, the curtain, and the cross. Find out more about Jesus and the very big surprise at thegoodbook.com. All right, well, now it's time for the segment that we call The Lunchroom, where we tell you the things that we've been talking about together. So, Brent, why don't you tell us this week what's on your mind? Yeah, so uh, the the item that I thought made the most sense for this week was a website called realclearpolitics.com. Since we're in a season where a lot of people are paying attention to political commentary, polling, and delegate counts, this site is more or less a a one-stop shop for all of that information, and it stays current with all of the latest developments. So that's something that I've used previously in my political career, and I thought it would be something that our audience could use as well. Lindsay, how about you? Okay, so... My resource, I uh, found this article that one of our coworkers posted. It's called The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. And don't let the headline turn you off or turn you away from it because it did me initially. But a little summary, it says the family structure we've held up as the cultural ideal for the past half century has been a catastrophe for many. It's time to figure out better ways to live together. And my understanding is it's not saying let's do away with husband, wife, two children. It's saying we were made for more extended networks, that we were made um, to be in a community, which is essentially what the Lord has told us in his word. We're a part of the church, those who are those who belong to Christ, because we need one another and we need an extended family. It's too hard to do do life right. by ourselves. Galatians 6 too, right? Bear one another's yes, burdens. Yes, absolutely. So there's so, definitely some scriptural echoes there. Yes. So that's what I got from it. Maybe you wouldn't agree with everything, but that just drove that home to me all over again. That's really good. And so I feel bad. I mean, for the second week in a row, I'm dropping some really useless stuff on you guys, but it's the stuff that I can't stop thinking about. Maybe that says a lot about me, but I have for a long time been like fascinated by the whole influencer culture and everyone listening to this podcast knows what I'm talking about, but the people who have just They strive to cultivate a social media presence and a following uh, by doing, you know, oftentimes what are so obviously really absurd things to capture, capture that perfect photo or to, you know, create this, you know, persona or impression of themselves that is something that is just not true to reality. And so this week, I stumbled upon, saw several people linking to uh, this, I think it's an Instagram account called Influencers in the Wild. Uh, I don't know all the stuff that's posted up there. I have just seen things that people have posted from that. So, uh, you know, discretion there. But I'm just saying, it is hilarious. The things that I've seen people share of how these influencers are setting up. So it takes the picture of the person taking the picture, (laughs) right? you know, and it's just, it's just hilarious. There, there, There was one, that I saw because you had shared it internally. And so I just took a quick look at it. There was one of people trying to get the perfect picture of the Eiffel Tower but to do so, they were standing in the middle of rush hour traffic. <laughs> yes, like pe- people are literally holding up traffic in Paris so that they can capture that perfect photo. And so anyway, this is, you know, just a just a fun and I think innocent way to basically make fun of something that's just really ridiculous. It is. And then I also had, I just had another one that I wanted to share. There's oh, a it's link. a two for week. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh, happy Valentine's so, Day. Mm-hmm. Because, and you'll appreciate this. If you're listening, I mean, I'm telling you, you will because you will. So there's this podcast that was talking about whether or not, apparently there are some people who don't have an internal monologue. And as a person who is like always in conversation with myself in my head, I have no idea what it must be like to like 
write anything or say anything or basically be a person at all who is not thinking through what they say before they say it or having a conversation with themselves about how a thing could go. And so anyway, if you're not an internal monologue person, I hope that you're not offended, but I don't understand you. And if you are, then maybe this will definitely resonate with you. But is, you should check that out. Is the opposite of a person with an internal monologue a person who just doesn't have a filter? No. The debate is, do you think in words? Do you think in pictures? When you think things in your mind, are you hearing yourself talk to you? Or does that voice take on another, not another person, but this just all sounds so weird. Like we all have problems. Again, I don't understand it because I, I'm an internal monologue person, but you know, people who see in shapes or colors or whatever other things might, you know, help them get through their days. That's just a thing I thought was really interesting. It and certainly struck up a lot of conversation. It definitely did. It so did. happy, happy to share that with all of you. So, but so we can move you to something helpful. Each week we want to leave you with an ERLC resource. And so Lindsay, why don't you tell us what our resource is this week? So our resource this week is a panel and it's called All God's Children, Growing Kids Who Embrace a Biblical View of Racial Unity. So this is going to be a clip from Afshin Ziafat, who is a pastor in Texas. And he's talking about what the Bible teaches about racial unity. Afshin is such a faithful pastor and we will get to that clip from him in just a second. Uh, We just want to say thank you to everyone who's been listening uh, to the podcast and helping to share it on social media. And just as a reminder, if you want to help us spread the word, you can share the podcast on social media. You can go into uh, your podcast store and leave us a rating or review. And that's always helpful just for more people to discover the podcast and hear about what we're doing. But until next week, we just want to say thanks for listening. And we'll be back next Friday with more content. I stood up the Sunday after Charlottesville and I basically said, first of all, racism is an affront to God because Genesis 1, we're all, verse 26, made in his image after his likeness. We're image bearers. And so uh, when you are looking at someone who is made in the image of God and thinking yourself superior, you are, uh, it's an affront to God. And I think of the lesson that Peter had to learn on the rooftop when he saw the sheet come down with all kinds of animals, both clean and unclean. And he hears the voice of God saying, take, kill, and eat. And Peter says, I will not touch what is common and unclean. And God says, don't call what I have made common and unclean. And right then there's a rap at the door, and I think it's all setting him up for going into a Gentile man's home, Cornelius, and preaching the gospel. Because in those days, they were seeing Gentiles that are unclean. And so he's saying, look, I've made these people. My heart beats for them. Same thing with Jonah, when he didn't want to go preach to Nineveh. The end of the book of Jonah ends with God saying, uh, should I not pity these 120,000 people? Again, made in my image. So it's an affront to God. It's an affront to the gospel. Because Ephesians chapter 2 says that Jesus is our peace, and he brings down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. So the two who should be at odds with one another now have become fellow citizens, and then it's like he stops himself and goes, oh no, it's deeper. They become members of the household of God. They become family members, and then it's almost as if he stops himself and goes, no, actually, it's even deeper than that. They are fellow bricks making up the temple of God, and they're dependent on each other. And so it's an affront to the gospel of Jesus Christ for me to have a divide between another race. And then, as you said, it's an affront to heaven. At the end of the day, I think, you know, when we get to heaven, we're going to see again, as Revelation 7 says, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation surrounding the throne of God saying salvation belongs to God. And if that's where this is all headed, and by the way, the church... Uh, is supposed to be, as Ephesians 3 says, the manifold wisdom of God. That word manifold means multifaceted, like a diamond with many faces shines brightly. We are to have people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and that gives glory to God. 